welcome to the Situation Report for August 2nd, August 7th, sorry, 2023. It's Lieutenant Colonel Murray. Just watched a video with uh, Ed Dowd talking about he's using UK data now. Uh, it's on the high wire. I'll, I'll post it to the comments. He's talking about a 34 standard deviation shift in health issues since the vaccine. We, we all know what the deal is. We all do. But what's interesting about what he's publishing right now is a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I was talking to a medium that said between the ages of 15 and 44 over the next two years, we're going to see a massive rise in people departing the planet. And I didn't give it a lot of credence because I figured that was going to happen anyway from the boosts, the boosters and all the other things that they were trying to trying to push on the public. But the fact that this has been so successful, I mean, I, when this first, so in 2020, when we were talking about the vaccines, I, I you know, I said on my, this was back before I was on Telegram, I said that. The vaccines are going to be killers. The real bioweapon is the vaccine. It's not COVID. And then 2021, I was kicked off of Instagram, Facebook, and all the other, you know, legacy social media platforms because I said, this is a planned event and the vaccines are the bioweapon. And anybody who takes the vaccines will be dead in two years. And literally from the time that people started getting the shot in 21, to where we are now in 23, two years. And we're seeing a mass die off. We're seeing people with blood clots, permanent injuries. And young people in their 20s. And again, let me be perfectly transparent. I have a kid that's gotten four, four shots. Two of the first shot, a booster, and then the quote-unquote Omicron, which is the same shot. So I I have every every bit of the concern that everybody else does. And people say, well, if nothing's happened in six months, then you're good. No, you're not good. This is this is a time bomb that was set to go off in one to two years, and they were going to keep us in lockdown so that they could obfuscate the mass die off. You're watching a coordinated effort by the U.S. mainstream media, the European mainstream media, and all the other outlets across the planet to cover up the fact that the thing that is killing people is the vaccines. And it's finally being called out by RFK and others, but they're saying it as in vaccine safety. This was never safety tested. And, and Pfizer just admitted last week that they had no idea and didn't test for long-term side effects, which is just a polite way of saying, not only do we not test this, but we don't know what it's going to do, which is a lie. But we all knew this. What's relevant here, what the signal is in all of this, is the numbers of people that are affected because they're putting people on disability and then Pfizer's coming out with a drug to deal with the the blood clots 
This is just a money-making machine to subjugate people to the not only the pharmaceuticals, but to the government universal basic income. The bigger picture here is when you look at COVID from this perspective of what they tried to achieve, they didn't have just one objective. They had many objectives. And they succeeded at some, failed at others, and wildly succeeded in still others. And look at how many people were paid off. That signal. Doctors were given bonuses. Hospitals were given bonuses. Practitioners were given bonuses. And if they didn't sign up, they were basically got their medical license taken away by the AMA. This is the biggest conspiracy in human history. And it's playing out right in front of your eyes. Every bit of this was planned. Right down to the comorbidities, the number of people and the, and the age groups that were going to die off, and why. They needed to kill off people that were on pensions because the pension funds are broke. They needed to kill off the 15 to 44 age group because they needed to destroy the standing military. They needed to destroy the military in its current form because it was too strong for, for China and Russia to take on directly. Those are just three second-order effects that came out of the overall target, which was po population reduction. And it was all done by traitors within our government. And everyone in D.C. is a communist, either a communist traitor or a communist sympathizer or a communist enabler. If you're still in the system and you're not fighting, you're an enabler. Look at how many people in the military have sacrificed their career to get the information out about the number of people that were affected by myocarditis from the first round of shots. Every bit of that blood is on Millie, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and Austin. And there is no other description for it. Why I'm animated about this today is for the very simple reason that we as a country cannot lose sight of what's occurring. You know, in World War II, you had, you had Pearl Harbor as the battle cry. In World War I, it was Lusitania. In every major conflict where, and I'm not talking about Vietnam or Korea or any of the, the regional conflicts that we turned into endless wars, but every conflict where we fought for moral re reasons, even if that reason was set up by the government, it was still a battle cry. This should be our battle cry. Our enemies conducted a biological attack on our country. And again, all enemies, foreign and domestic. All of that should make your blood boil. These are domestic enemies that conducted a biological attack on the American public and the military. Now, I'm in the process of putting together some strategic objectives for not just this channel, but for the movement to restore the, to restore the Constitution, the country. 
And part of it is we need to we need to restore the Constitution, preserve the Bill of Rights and the freedoms, the big R rights that we have in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We need to we need to outlaw historical revisionism, which is something that this country has suffered through for the last 10 years because of liberals. We need to reshape capitalism and put controls on how much money people can actually make. This unlimited con this concept of unlimited resources needs to die. It's what's driven us to this point. This concept that we have unlimited resources, we do not. We don't have unlimited resources. We don't have unlimited money. We don't have unlimited coin. And most of the most of the currency is a construct anyway. We need to reshape what capitalism really is and not make it about greed. Then we need to overhaul the entire federal system and make it weaker than it is, weaker than it was in 1776. We need to make it a management piece more than a leadership piece. And that's going to require some revisions to the Constitution, some revisions to which Constitution we use. And it means elimination of, of the District of Columbia and all the rights associated with it, all the, the rights they've granted themselves. And then finally, reconstruction of all of our institutions in the society to include the church. And anybody in the church that accepted money to push the COVID vaccines goes to prison for treason. Nobody gets to claim ignorance on this. No one. And as I've said before, when the, when the population gets mad enough and figures it out, the elite are not going to have a place to hide. There's going to be a certain portion of the population that just is never going to wake up, no matter what you do. I know, I have two of them in my family. Can't hear a fucking word spoken to them. They live in la-la land. They watch CNN and MSDNC all day. Can't hear a word spoken to them. All of that, you got to let go. And accept that there's people in your family, people in your former friends group that are not going to make it through this. And we need to focus on the people that will make it through this. You know, there's a there's a book, and I think I mentioned it before. It's, a, it's an action-adventure book. It's called Out of the Ashes by William Johnstone. And it's part of, most of the read is, is changing clips and shooting people. But there's a portion of the book, I think it's in chapter four, chapter five, where it talks about the fundamentals of why society doesn't work. And I remember it because I read this as a kid. I remember the book because one of the tenets of the society that they set up in the book is only the best and brightest. Everybody else, they discard. And the rationale is that a society for a society to work, people have to, by and large, be peaceful in nature, not aggressive, not violent. And most importantly, adaptive to the bigger picture of what they're trying to accomplish, meaning they have a higher purpose. In addition to that, 
there's no government handouts. Everybody works. The elderly are taken care of. The sick are taken care of. The healthcare system is managed by, by the state, socialized medicine. and But socialized medicine that's funded by the working class. And it's funded by people that have left the working class. So you pay into your retirement, e.g. your pension. You pay into your healthcare system. You pay into, and that's, that's how it's supposed to work in the socialist model. But in this model, it's not crippling taxes that do it. It's literally people that are signed up for their calling that make that happen. And it's not based on currency. It's based on calling. Everybody has a calling. Everybody has a life purpose. The The reason why we're seeing the shift in the workforce of people don't want to work is because the education system has said to them, these jobs are below you. You should come out of college and make $150,000, $200,000 a year. That's what college teaches kids right now. That's why the entire millennial age group has no moral compass. They don't have a focus. They don't have a higher purpose. They say they want to know what the higher purpose is. But when you get down to, down to brass taxes, they, they have this belief system that things are beneath them to do. When we came out of World War II, we were we were deep into, and even Germany for a very, very long time focused on the blue collar and the white collar. And the blue collar, you would go to a trade school and you would work a trade and you'd be an expert at that trade for your whole career. And the same with, with professionals. You professionals would go into professional careers and they would be experts in whatever field they were in. It's only the elite that are these generalists that don't know how to do anything. The population in and of itself are builders. And we propagated the builder society after World War II with the Marshall Plan, with education, with the trade schools, with the trades, with the building of infrastructure in America. We did all of that, starting with FDR and the New Deal under the guise of you know, restoring the economy and restoring the public. But we did all of those activities and built trade and trade unions that are, you know, most of the most of the trades are people are experts. The problem is the technology in all of those trades has made it easier and easier and easier for people to be lazier and lazier, which is a byproduct of having high technology. But that said, this whole concept, this whole concept of AI can do it better, faster machines can do it better. That may be true in certain careers, in certain fields, but there's always going to be a need for trades, people that can do stuff with their hands. And machines can probably fix themselves at some point. But the, the thing that has separated humans from machines forever is the imperfections of a trade, somebody that builds things with their hands, a trade. And, you know, my one of my siblings was HVAC for years and expert at it. Can, can To this day, can listen to anything with refrigeration and tell you exactly what's wrong with it without even cracking the case. Your compressor's bad. You've got an air hose that's loose. This is This is bad. I literally 
can listen to it and tell you what's wrong with it. And Zanola hasn't been in the industry in 15, 20 years. And then I know guys, I I know guys that I worked with in the military that were, in fact, I had a, a couple of mechanics that worked on trucks. And these guys could listen to a diesel engine and tell you exactly what was wrong with it from a distance and then go fix it in the field. I used to love the guys in the tank mechanics that would come out in the M88s, which is a big tracked recovery vehicle. Those guys could fix fucking anything. They would come out dirty as shit, greasy, get out of their tank. Their tank smelled like fucking feet and ass. And they would get out and fix everything wrong with my tank. Like everything. And, you know, they do a, they do a test on the engine because it's a jet engine, basically a turbine. They'd say you're only at 8% power. You got to change this engine pack. And then they would, in the field, bring out an engine pack and swap out an engine pack in the field. These guys were amazing. A machine is not going to be able to do that. Not for 20 or 30 years. And even then, I wouldn't want a fucking machine doing it anyway. There's there's a certain art to to combustion engines and to um, and to different pieces of equipment that only humans will be able to master. It's sound, it's vibration, it's a lot of different things. Machines will never have that ability, and if they do, it's twenty or thirty years down the road. All that piece of our society. Is going to grow on its own and grow out of control on its own. But we still are going to need trades, no matter what amount of technology is out there. And machines will be able to do certain things faster, better, et cetera, 24-7. That's always been the limitation of production. It's always been a limitation of, of production owners. Could never have 24-7 capacity. Boeing runs 24-7 ops on their production plant. And they have mandatory overtime. They have mandatory bonuses that go into um, everybody's pay all year long. And they do that because they need to get the throughput. If they could replace 90% of their workforce with the machines that could pump out airlines every day, they would do that. But the piece that you're that is always going to be missing is the artistry of repairing those those airplanes and keeping those airplanes flying smoothly. Even with jet engines that are highly reliable now, even with um, you know the the fact that we've been producing jet engines for almost eighty years, we we could tell you to the to the nanosecond when that engine will fail if it doesn't have oil, if it has too much oil, if it's been run too long, when it's at end of life, mean time between failure. There's a reason why we use those terms. A machine can tell you all of that, but a machine won't be able to listen to that engine and tell you if it's got any life left in it. Humans can't. So we can't lose focus moving forward as we're reconstructing on the trades. And we need to celebrate people that work a trade. You know, my old man was a meat cutter. And he was probably one of the fastest butchers I've ever seen in my life. He could butcher, like, I watched him butcher a cow. And we were at a friend's house in Yakima, they hung that thing up and he skinned it, cut it, did a whole nine yards in less than an hour and a half. It was the most, and I watched him, he, he did an antelope for me. Like I watched him literally butcher a, uh, 
an antelope in my garage and it took him like 45 minutes. He was amazingly fast. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And even a, even the butcher in, um, that was in, uh, in my town when we took it over there, he's like, how, because you just got this. I go, yeah, my dad just butchered it. He's like, wow, your dad's fast. It would have taken me two to three hours to do this. The point is we should celebrate the trades. We've villainized the trades over the years because the elite, the academics, think that anybody who doesn't have a PhD or a master's degree is subhuman. It's exactly if you if you read the fall of Rome and and the you know the Rome fall of Roman Empire, yeah, you, trust me when I say this, you will see exactly the same thing. History has a, a a way of repeating itself, but we should never we should never disparage the trades, the builder class, because the builders in this country are what make things happen, and the elite have forgotten about that. They, they are so wrapped up in their own echo chambers and their bubbles that they can't see the forest through the trees. If we need anything in this country, it's builders. It's people that know how to build things and do things with their hands. That's going to be the most important trade for the next two decades because we have to rebuild everything in our society. And it's going to take builders with a creative mind to do that. We're going to have to think of creative ways to recreate our government, to put in checks and balances, to not allow this to happen again. We can never allow this amount of malfeasance or this amount of corruption ever again. And this is what happens when people have way too much money. It corrupts their spirit. It corrupts their moral compass. It corrupts their way of thinking. It corrupts their view of the world. It corrupts their sense of well-being to the point where it's non-reformable. Look at Bill Gates. Paul Allen called him a maniacal schemer. That's exactly what he is. But he's also a pedophile, a mass murderer, and the list goes on and on and on. Just what he did alone with the vaccines in India for polio makes him a mass murderer. I'm not even adding COVID or, in, or what he's doing with mRNA vaccines in the food supply. And he's just one of many. The Koch brothers, all these oligarchs that have made money off of tech or off of some kind of production that have used their money to not only steer politics in a direction that's favorable, they've corrupted the entire system. They have no higher purpose. Their only higher purpose is to service their own personal agenda. That's why we have tyrants in the first place. People so narcissistic that the only thing they want, and there's literally no boundaries to what they're willing to do to achieve their aims. We need to build a society that doesn't produce those people. The only way we're going to produce that society is to reform every part of our society, to include food production. I'm convinced that 90% of the problems we have, both socially, economically, culturally, are all from our food supply and people's ability to rationalize and discern because of all the stuff that's in our food supply that not only destroys your way of thinking, but it destroys your body. And how many people, like, here's a perfect example. When you see somebody that's got a chronic illness, 
are they pleasant to be around? Most of the time, they're angry and they're frustrated and they're short because they're always in pain. Imagine if we didn't have all the shit in the food supply that poisoned us. Imagine how different the planet would be if we didn't have that. Now, that won't solve the mental health problem because we have a lot of mental health issues because of trauma, because of legacies of trauma being passed down, because of incest, because of child molestation, because of you know child trauma. We have to solve that a different way through education and through mental health care. But the current mental health care we have is far, far too inefficient. And most importantly, there's a lot of fucking quacks in that industry that should never, ever be counselors. They should be profiled. So if they're control freaks or sociopaths, they never get a license. There are a lot of sociopaths that are counselors. I know some sick, twisted fucks that are counselors. My point is, in order for us to get to the place we need to be, it's going to take three to four decades to get there. And we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for our children. We're trying to build a society that works together for a bigger purpose and has a sense of selfless service and then has a framework around that that they can work with to achieve their aims. The founding fathers never thought that the, that the, the Constitution would live this long. They, they figured at some point they would have to rewrite it or amend it to make it a living document. But the whole intent was to make it a living document and put structure around the governmental process to keep the big government at bay. And for generations, we've let big finance people and oligarchs control the Constitution through legislation, legislators, through regulation, you name it. And now we have the worst of both worlds. We have oligarchs interjecting and we have communists that are sitting in federal positions that are dictating through regulation how we will how we will operate as businesses, how we will operate as individuals. All of that has to stop. All of it. The only thing the federal government should be able to do is stamp a fucking paper and that's it. The whole concept of the legislative, executive, and ju judicial branch, it makes a lot of sense, but you have to modernize the judicial system in order for the whole system to work. And you have to take out the ability for a judge to legislate from the bench. You have to take away the ability for a legislator to create public policy that's illegal. You need to take away the ability for a president to commit acts of treason and acts of war without checks and balances but it needs to happen in real time versus this this lag time of months weeks and years that's been the problem with the constitution for almost 100 years it hasn't paced with technology and because it hasn't paced with technology we're not able to pivot and move the way we're supposed to to keep things in check and ai is not going to solve that AI will probably help some of that, but I don't trust AI. There's a there's a very good reason why I don't trust AI. And part of it is I don't trust AI because if it gets a sent if it becomes sentient, then guess what? We're at war with AI.
And we should never put ourselves in a position where we're at war with an artificial intelligence. A lot to unpack, but the point is, now's the time to start thinking about action. It's the and and this started. I wasn't even going to do this this sit rep today because I was going to do it on something else. But one of my admins, uh, PB, decided that he's going to start holding people accountable one day a week to to stop asking what shit do I need to buy, and start talking about here's what I'm doing. Here's what, here's what I'm working on. And that metamorphosized into a conversation where JC and a few others added to the conversation and said, yeah, this is acts, minor, minute actions every single day add up to a cumulative, cumulative effect. Rented lips today. Anyway, and the bigger conversation is we need to focus away from what do we need to do to prep to what are we doing to actively be involved in our in our um, community? And one of the things that I'm working on right now, and, and this is something I do every almost every single week. So I have a couple of neighbors that are in their 80s, and they some days they can get their cans out, some days they can't. I go over every Thursday, knock on my neighbor's door and say, hey, you need me to take the cans to the curb and bring them back? And some days they'll say yes, some days they'll say no. And then across the street from me is an adult family home where there are probably six people that are basically in hospice. And that whole crew over there, mostly Filipinos, I, I walk over and I say, do you guys, do you guys need anything? Do you need anything broken? Do you guys need any help, any help with anything? And every so often, like, I'll, you know, like this last week, I walked over and I, uh, I asked if they need anything and they just needed a, um, something fixed it was like a walker or something so i w- went back over there with tools and fixed the walker and where i go it's it's small acts of kindness every single day that shift the planet we're not just shifting our way of thinking we're shifting the population's way of sh- way of thinking from i'm going to wait for somebody else to what can i do to help and we need to make that shift now versus waiting because when things do blow up and they will blow up, we'll already be in a position where people know that we're doing things to help look at. And, and troops are a good example of that. This troop originally planned to go out and help and do do wound care once every four weeks, but he got sucked into this because he realized there's a greater need there. Which is why I've I've you know been pushing people to help him because it's expensive to run that, it's expensive to to uh, to buy those supplies. I know because I'm you know, I I I routinely do stuff for other people, and like I'm I'm coating two uh, two firearms for 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 troop, and I you know I'll do that for all my admins, but it the point is. Doing something for other people not only helps enrich your life, it enriches their life, and it sets a precedent. The precedent is that selfless service is way more important than stuff. And that's where we need to shift to. We need to shift to action now and get away from this, this idea of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have all this stuff on hand. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to wait for things to, to go past me. 
they may not go past you. You may be forced to displace and leave all that shit, or it may get burnt or blown up. I, you know, that's the thing about combat is that you see the amount of waste. Like when you, when you watch any of the videos of the, the Ukrainian equipment being blown up by the Russians or Russian equipment, you don't realize that in every vehicle they're showing, there's personal equipment, there's firearms, there's ammunition, there's food, there's water, there's spare parts. There's a ton of things in those vehicles that you take for granted. And you may have to displace and walk away from all of it with just what you have on your back. The point is, and that's why I keep referencing Lawrence Gonzalez's book, Deep Survival, for this very same reason. That we need to we need to get refocused towards doing and being ready to pivot and make decisions in the midst of adversity versus assuming that everything's going to develop the way you think it is in your head. Nothing ever develops the way you think it does. You have a picture in your head of how things are, and it never works out that way. Never. As soon as you cross the line of departure, you throw the plan over your shoulder and you fight the fight. Always. There is never an instance where you fight and the enemy does exactly what you plan on them doing. And how many times have you made a picture of somebody in your head that's going to be a certain way and then you meet them and they're completely different? I, I can tell you that, you know, I talk to people that, um, I'll just put it this way. People used to talk about Chris Cornell when he made it big. And they were like, this is the way he is. I'm like, no, that's not how he is. He's not that way at all. He might be that way in front of the camera. He might be that way on stage, but that's not how he is in real life. That's not the kind of guy he is. And people had a picture in their head of how he was and never could back themselves off of it. And then when they finally, you know, they finally did meet him, and they realized that everything, everything I was saying was true. They were disillusioned because he wasn't exactly what they made him out to be. You create a picture in your head of how things are supposed to be. And this is different from projection. This is you using your norms and your belief system to build a picture of how things are going to be when it happens. What I'm trying to tell you is don't have a picture of how this is going to go. Just have a plan for what you're going to do in each contingency and start working that plan right now. That's the, that's the do part of this. It's not, you know, I need to go order 10 more things from Amazon to make sure that my bug out bag is squared away. You have what you have. Sometimes you have less than what you started with. The point is, how do you adapt and do in a time of adversity? That's where you need to shift your focus to as well as shifting your focus to do random acts of kindness to start shifting the people around you. That's going to be the hard part because most people are not versed in that. We're not taught that. Some people have a disposition for it, like true. He's got a disposition. It takes a real gift to be able to deal with homeless and, and with that level of dedication. And, you know, the leadership part of that is realizing which people in your team have that ability and which ones don't. And you give everybody a specific purpose that's in their lane. 
That's why it's so important to figure out what your passion is, what you're good at, because that helps the overall team figure out where you can help. And you got to get away from this mindset that you have to be at a certain level of notoriety within the group to be successful or to be accepted. That's not true. Everybody has a purpose. If you're all working towards the same goal, then it doesn't matter who gets the accolades, who doesn't get the accolades. It's up to leadership to make sure that's done equally and people get the right recognition as they deserve it and need it. But that's where we're wrapped up. We're wrapped up in the notoriety part of it versus the do. And the do is the most important. Especially when you're talking about situations of a massive adversity. That's all about do. It's not about, well, I can't do that because this is my... No, you figure it out. You make decisions and you move. And I can tell you there's several times when you're, you know, your vehicle's blown up and you're trying to shift one from, you know, shift shit out of the vehicle before it burns up completely to another vehicle. When there's already four people in that and there's only four seats, you figure it out and you complete your mission. That's the point of it. So... Don't get wrapped up in the picture in your head or being in charge or the way you think things should develop because that's only going to lead you to frustration and confusion. I mean, do you think Troop shows up every every Saturday and is has got a list in his head of all the people he's going to treat and that they're all going to show up and that there's not setbacks? There, He never knows who's going to show up. He never knows how many are going to show up. He never knows what's going to show up for wounds. And he may see somebody succeed one week and then fall back into the gutter the next week. For for every addictive cycle, there's, there's progress and setbacks. That's why it's incremental, not exponential movement that makes you succeed. Consistency is the hallmark of excellence. And consistency is what, and muscle memory is what we're trying to get you to do now. Instead of just sitting back and saying, okay, I've got everything, I'm good to go. Now start honing your skills. Learn how to can, learn how to butcher, learn how to grow, learn how to cultivate seeds, learn how to preserve water, learn how to refresh water. There's a variety of things you can be practicing right now to be ready for that adversity when it happens. And everybody's got their own budget to deal with it. That's why community is so important, because if you pool resources and you have a community of people around you, when adversity hits, you're able to adapt and survive. When you're all sitting around, milling around a room, trying to figure out what to do next, guess what? You all die. That's the point of the exercise. Consistent, sustained actions every single day that lead you towards a place of proficiency. That's why we do what we do on, a, on a, any military training we do is always about consistency. It's all about muscle memory. And look, there's a reason when you put a bunch of 18-year-olds on a rifle range why they have tons of adult supervision. The reason why you do that is to make sure that they're building the right muscle memory. That's what a community can help you with. That's what builders can help you with, is building muscle memory to do things. I mean, I look at my oldest. My oldest has basically completely renovated a house and learned to do it on the fly and now has muscle memory with tools, with building materials, 
with sourcing building materials, with refurbishing, reusing original materials, the whole nine yards. And it's been through a year and a half of sustained and consistent incremental progress. That's been frustrating at times because look, the secret sauce in this is to realize you're going to get frustrated doing this stuff. It's extremely frustrating. And case in point, I was, I put a scope mount on an uh, M1A, which is a Springfield, basically M14. And the scope mount is a shit design. It's always been a shit design. And they say you're supposed to tighten it up, tap it with a with a hammer, tighten it up, tap it, tighten it five times, and it's supposed to supposed to uh, tighten that up. I took that damn thing to the range seven times and tightened it on the range seven times until it was finally tight. You shoot, shakes it, shoot the vibration, shoot the vibration, loosens up, and you have to keep tightening until it seats right. That frustration finally paid off through consistency and incremental action, not through one and done. You got to get that out of your head. Sometimes you will repeat things a hundred fucking times before you get it right or partially right. The point is sustain and consistent actions every single day. Okay, I think I beat that to death. I'm going to end today with another car song. And uh, this time... It's going to be something that uh, I think is um, not only appropriate for the mood, but it's uh, it's appropriate for the day we're in. You know, these guys are eclectic. They're kind of like Depeche Mode, right? They have this they have this eclectic sound that they've um, they cultivated. Sorry about that. Um, this eclectic sound that they've cultivated and uh, trying to find moving and stereo, by the way. So it doesn't always work out right. Um, but I'm going to play moving and stereo because it seems like that's what we're doing and trying to find the right song here. That's what happens when you have, you know, three or 4,000 different uh, songs in your catalog. Like I said before, the Cars were an eclectic band, and Rick Ocasek, uh, that guy's a freak anyway, but uh, they came up with some good music, and this is one of them. This is moving in stereo, and uh, I think it describes where we are today. It's just like we're just kind of moving along in this weird funk, and everybody can feel something's wrong. They don't know what it is, but consistent, sustained actions, folks. Start doing things. God bless. One team, one fight. No fear, no surrender.
trembling.